Good morning. This feels like an appropriate time to, uh, to, to make uh, a confession. There's times people will say things like, people you know, new to church will be like, oh man, like if the person up front, like they must just be, have it all together. And I'd say, I don't, not at any church I've gone to or worked at, because I'm up here and I am a dumpster fire. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. Yeah, I just, I'm flawed, right? I'm flawed. And so I'm going to share like an area of this, this deep, dark shame in my life. I'm an impulse buyer. I'm an impulse buyer. Anybody else impulse buys? You know, like the, you're in the, the line at the supermarket and you're, you came to get three things and you're like, but that, I mean, I really did need a king-size Kit Kat. I mean, I don't even like chocolate, but that, I did need that. I totally, I totally am. I, I'm an impulse buyer. And, and my problem is I like weird stuff. And so I, I like, I'm always like lured by the, uh, the unknown. And so I'll try that. And it, it's, yeah, that's me. I mean, it just, Bethany knows if I go to the store, I'm coming home with something weird and cereal. Like that's, that, even if that's not on my list, like that's what I'm coming home with. I'm out with my son a couple weeks ago and we're in the, uh, the cracker aisle. And I see that Trisket has a new flavor, fig and honey. And I'm like, yeah, got to try that. That sounds awesome. I like, all th- I like figs, honey, and Triscuits. So we open it up. It's like, well, I'm going to buy it, or I can eat it now. And we try, I give one to my son, and I'm eating one. It was not good. <laughs> it was not good. And my, my seven-year-old is like, here, you take this. I'm like, I'm like choking mine down. I'm like, no, no, I, I, get, I, I ate mine. You, you finished that one. And he's looking at me like, this was your idea. I'm not taking that. Yeah, it was, not, it was not particularly good. Or another time I went out and I, and I saw this new cereal, French Toast Crunch, and I'm like, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I love French Toast. It's like you've been reading my diary. Let's, re- let's do this thing. Yeah, it wasn't great. And you, you can tell when a cereal is not great because it's like I'm too cheap to throw it out, so I've eaten some of it, but I've eaten enough that it's not worth keeping in the box anymore, but like it's just in the bag and it's rolled up sitting in the pantry, just enough to make me feel shame when I see it, like, oh, that's still there. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. I trusted my gut in both of those instances, and as usual, my gut was wrong. I'm drawn to weird stuff, right? But sometimes, really oftentimes, that turns out to be the wrong stuff. And that's true of all of us in a way. Because as humans, we're drawn to the wrong stuff. Our hearts tell us that what we want must be right. It must be the good thing, the true thing. But our hearts are wrong. A lot. So how do we know what the right stuff is? How do we know what the right stuff is? How do we know what to pursue and fill our lives with? Well, we're going to look at what Jesus says about that this morning as we continue our series, Radical, looking at this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus digs into this idea of what's the right thing to pursue and what's the value of pursuing that. He's not just asking us to do this because he wants to arbitrarily make us do it. Jesus lays out why this matters for us in some really significant ways. And so we're going to start with this first idea, what you value has your heart. What you value has your heart. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up where Jerry left off last week in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, 
Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Man, that's powerful. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Jesus is challenging us here, right? When he says don't store up, really he's saying stop storing up. Because he's not saying don't do it. You don't, you know, it's not a good thing to do. He's saying he acknowledges the reality that for us as humans that we are doing this. We are storing up treasures on earth, right? We are pursuing things that are temporary. We are pursuing things that are fleeting. We find value in stuff, in, in possessions, in, in accomplishments. We find value in success. We find value in things that are not forever. They're temporary. He knows that about us. And so he says, stop storing up treasures on earth. Now, he doesn't mean don't work, be lazy, kick back, relax. You'll be waited on hand and foot. Though that does sound pretty awesome, doesn't it? Like that sounds... Jesus, are you sure you didn't mean that? Because that sounds awesome. No, he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that we don't, we don't have to do anything because the Bible honors work. We're supposed to work hard and provide for ourselves and care for our families and for each other. We honor God when we do our best. God wants us to enjoy his creation. He encourages us to enjoy the good things God has created. Don't store up treasures on earth doesn't mean we, we don't work. What it means is stop valuing the wrong things. Stop valuing the wrong things. Jesus is concerned about the selfishness that's rooted in valuing the wrong things. He's concerned for people's hearts. Now for us, we would consider heart in our context, in our culture, to be heart is like the source of emotion, Right? Not literally, your heart is that thing in there that pumps blood, but like the, you know, the wink, the heart, the heart, we'd say is the source of emotion, that like, you know, rounded shape thing, the heart shape, you know what I'm talking about. Boy, that would have been helpful to have a picture. Sorry about that. You're like, what heart? Yeah, no, the heart thing, you know. We, we think that's where emotion comes from. But in this context, in this culture, the people Jesus is speaking to, heart meant something different. In this context, it's much, much bigger it means the center of your personality and will, the core of who you are. That's what he's concerned about because he knows where your treasure is, your heart is as well. What we value most occupies that space and it shapes and controls who we are. Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't store up temporary treasures. Don't find value in these things that are temporary. Instead, store treasures in heaven. Now, what are treasures in heaven? What does that mean? Well, the, the Bible tells us that God promises a, a reward for those who obey him, for those who live for him, for those who live rightly with him. It promises a reward. And we don't, you don't ask me any more questions after that because we don't really understand what that is. I, I, don't, I don't really know what that is. We know the one thing we do know is it's a really, 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 really good thing. Really good thing. That heaven is already this mind-blowingly incredible place. We get to be with, with God in his presence. And then the, the, whatever this reward is, it's going to be awesome. It's like getting a present from someone who's an incredible gift giver. It's like, I don't need to know what it is. I know it's going to be good. It's like my sister-in-law. She gives great presents. 
We, we know it's going to be incredible. I don't really know what, but it's, it's going to be incredible. It's the idea of storing up treasures on earth where it, it can be destroyed, it can be stolen. He even uses these pictures, right? The moth was a symbol of destruction back in ancient times. Fashion was not as disposable then as it is now. There's not an H&M on every corner like that's replenishing stock every six hours. Fam- uh, uh, clothing was a valuable possession and it was passed along within a family. And eventually they'd wear out. They'd fall apart. They'd start to decay. And that's what this picture of, of moth, that, that moth is a picture of that kind of destruction. And he's saying our stuff is going to fall apart. He also goes on to say rust. And it's not just the corrosion of metal. It's, it's rot and decay. And it's like rats and mildew. And, and even time breaks things down and destroys them. How about even if you manage to keep it together, it can be stolen. Like burglary was as much an issue then as it is now. And it's not particularly hard to, to break into someone's house when their walls are made of mud brick and all you need to do is skip like a nail clipping and you can scratch through. He's saying, why invest your life in things that will be destroyed, that will fade away, that don't last, that can be stolen? Instead, invest them in things that are eternal. When I got, lived in Israel, I, I studied ancient history, and I got to spend some time in Egypt, and one of my favorite things I got to see was the, the tomb of, of Tutankhamun, because what's incredible is most of these tombs have been found, and so they've been looted, and so we just, you know, we get to see the insides, but this tomb, uh, another tomb was built over it, and so it remained hidden until it was discovered, and they found some incredible stuff. I mean, look at that. This, this solid gold funerary mask. I mean, that's Unbelievable. There were literally rooms full of things, like incredible things. Like, go to the next one. This, this gilded furniture and these large sculptures. And you can go to the, the next one. Like literally, it was just, pa- like just packed in there. They're shoving stuff in. I got one more. A, a funeral shrine. Like, so, look at that. That's gold. I mean, that is incredible. Because the thought was when the Pharaoh died, he would take all this stuff with him. He would take all this stuff with him. So they'd set him up in, in, in his funeral chamber with all of this stuff, his wealth, possessions. They'd even bury servants with him so that he could be served in the next life, which was really a job you don't want to have. Like you're, you're really concerned for your boss's health if you get buried alive when they die. But they'd have all this stuff with him because the thought was in the next life they would be taken care of. But what I find fascinating is the reason we know what he had in there was because he didn't take it with him. He didn't take it with him. He thought he'd get set up in the next life with all this stuff, but it's still here. I bet he was pretty disappointed. We can't take it with us. Where do we find our worth? What are we filling our lives with? Is it with stuff that will last forever or is it with things that end here, that die with us? that can break and be destroyed. What are we investing our lives in? Because what you value has your heart. What you value has your heart. Second thing that we want to look at is where you look has your focus. Where you look has your focus. Jesus continues on, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. 
And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What Jesus is doing, he's painting a picture. This is a big metaphor, all right? He's not comparing literal eyesight with literal blindness. He's comparing spiritual sight with spiritual blindness. He's painting this picture of an unhealthy eye, an eye that's envious and self-focused. And he contrasts that with a healthy eye that's generous and God-focused. Because what he's getting after is divided focus is the problem. Divided focus is the problem. We can't value two things equally important. Divided focus is what gets us in trouble because the person who tries to focus on themselves and their stuff and God has blurry vision. They're not seeing life clearly. They don't have clear direction and they don't know where they're going. I know when I'm focused on myself, things don't turn out nearly as well. Things don't work out. But when my gaze changes and I focus on Jesus, when I see things his way, my life somehow comes into alignment. It just works. It works the way it was intended. Because where we're looking shapes our experience. And Jesus doesn't want us to have a divided focus. And he moves on in this chapter to explain why. Right? He, he gives us a reason why. He doesn't just say, hey, you, here's what you should do. He goes, here's why you should do it. We're going to go back. We're going to look at verse 25. As Jesus starts to unpack these reasons, in verse 25, he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to his life? To your life? And look, he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. He moves on to, to verse 28, and he digs in even deeper, and he, and he makes it a little bit richer. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, this famous king of Israel, and all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? We worry when our focus is divided. We worry when we focus on anything other than Jesus first. I love this picture of the wildflowers, right? It's just such a good picture because these are beautiful. This is in the middle of a highway, Right? Nobody's out there every day, like parking on the shoulder, like running across a multi-lane highway with a little, like spritzing each petal, like you're a good flower. Yes, you are. Like positive reinforcement for the flower. Nobody's doing that. These are wildflowers and they're beautiful. I'm not even a flower guy. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's impressive. Those are beautiful. What Jesus is saying is that if God clothes these flowers with such beauty and they are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he provide for, for his children? How much more will he provide for us? It's a good challenge. Jesus wants our focus on his father because he knows where we look has our focus. 
Lastly, Jesus talks about here is who you serve has your life. Who you serve has your life. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He's using this picture of slavery in the Roman context. It, it was rare, but it, it was possible to be owned by, by two owners. And the, the problem is that a, a master demands total commitment. A slave with two masters cannot serve both fully and completely. If the second master asks the slave or tells the slave to do something when he's already doing something for the first master, how does he decide? He has to make a value judgment. He has to get, rank them. He has to have a hierarchy in his heart and his mind as to what's most important. You cannot value two things equally. And when he says here, he has to hate one and love the other, it's not hate like hate, but hate like love less than. Because love and hate are a common way to compare something in Jewish literature. What Jesus is really asking for here is total and complete commitment. He says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now money here is really this word mammon. Now you know why they said money there, right? Because it's a lot, it's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. I don't know what mammon is. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird word. Mammon means wealth or property. It really means stuff. And that word has the flavor of that in which one has confidence. And so what he's really saying here, what Jesus is really saying, is you cannot serve God and value something else first. Value stuff, value money, value possessions, value something else first. You cannot find confidence or identity in something else above God. You can't do both. It can't do both. One writer says it like this, either God is served with a single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Because sometimes we like to think, well, as long as I fit God into my life somewhere, I'm okay. Right? Yeah, like that's a good thing. Like, yeah, I get it. I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna do that stuff. Like, like no, that's good. Like, I, I wanna, you know, God sounds like, he's, yeah, I'm interested in knowing that guy. Okay, he sounds great. Well, I don't, don't get too close. Like, I don't want to date. Let's just be friends. Let's see how it goes. God doesn't want to be fit into a corner of our life. God wants single-minded devotion to him. But here's what's fascinating and what we often miss, and frankly, what I, what I miss too. When I value something else, what I, what I forget is the reality that God does not ask for single-minded devotion because he is some arrogant bully that wants to tell us what to do and he enjoys bossing us around, but rather that God knows us because he created us and knows that the longing in our soul is only filled through him that we cannot find the answers to the questions that our soul asks apart from him. God doesn't ask us to do that so he can tell us what to do. When you're in charge, when you have that kind of cosmic authority, bossing people around, like, that, does, he doesn't need that. I don't feel a sense of pride when my three-year-old does what I've said. That's a bad example. I would if she did it. If my five-year-old did what I said, I'm much older than her and much bigger. It's like, I'm in charge. Of course you're supposed to do it. God doesn't ask us to do this stuff. God doesn't want us to be devoted to him that way because of ego, but out of love. Because he knows that's the only way we find what we're looking for. It's the only way we find it. 
The solution that Jesus talks about here isn't just stopping the pursuit of the wrong things, of earthly things, of of temporary things. It's also replacing those wrong things with the right thing, with the greater thing, with the eternal thing, with God and who he is and his purpose for us. Love God, live with him, share him with others. That's what he wants for us. That's how we find what we're looking for. There may be challenges tomorrow. We may face challenges tomorrow. Those things are gonna, God doesn't say it's gonna be easy, but what he says is there will be new grace tomorrow, that my love is big enough for that tomorrow. And the only way you can make it through that is with me. He gives us hope as he ends this, Jesus does. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Let me read that one more time. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live rightly with God, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring about its own worries. Jesus is challenging us to go, we will worry and fear and make something into something that it's not and we'll let it snowball instead of pausing and taking a moment and saying, God, how do you meet this need? How do I trust in you in this moment? You are the only one who can get me through this. This is how we find what we're looking for. We can't find it any other way. I love movies, and there's really kind of two schools of movies that I love. One is I just like good movies that I enjoy, like Shawshank Redemption or Inception. Like, just, that's a, those are good movies I enjoy. And then I have another set of movies, and those are movies that I watched and enjoyed at a formational time in my life, most likely high school and college. And movies in that group are things like Tommy Boy and Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> which... I just, like, love. Like, those hit me at a good part of my life. And it made me a little sad a couple years ago. I had a small group of high school guys, and I realized, oh, my goodness, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm old. But I, like, Dumb and Dumber just works for me. I mean, it is, it is appropriately titled, but it just, it's fun. Anybody seen Dumb and Dumber, right? It's just, it's funny. And Jim Carrey is brilliant in that. I mean, he's just brilliant. He is an incredible comedian. I mean, this guy is, is a wildly successful movie star. Anybody seen a, a movie with Jim Carrey in it? Yeah, it's like almost all of us, you know, people that raise their hands and then everybody else that saw it but didn't feel like doing it. That's okay. I mean, he's wildly successful. In 2016, Jim Carrey was a presenter at the Golden Globes. He came out and he said this. From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. 
I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning <laughs> actor Jim Carrey. <laughs> because then I would be enough. <laughs> it would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. <laughs> but these are important, these awards. <laughs> I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. There's a lot of laughter, and I think nervous laughter in that room. Because what's he saying? He's wildly successful, but when will it be enough? He has an estimated net worth of $150 million. His movies have grossed worldwide $2 billion, I ruined it. We were having a moment, and I ruined it. Let me try this again. Pretend that didn't happen. We'll, we'll edit this out for online. Don't worry about it. His movies have grossed worldwide $2,545,415,010. Thank you. Like, that's a staggering amount of money. This guy has reached the pinnacle of his profession. He is both critically acclaimed, he is commercially successful, and yet he's saying it's not enough. I think you got people in that room that are like, <laughs> it's not enough. <laughs> because I think they realize it's true. In an interview several years ago, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. He's talking about what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is saying, here's how you find this answer. He's identified that hole. He's identified that longing. He has identified the disconnect between pursuing things that we think will fill us and pursuing the right thing, pursuing God. Jesus tells us how to find that answer. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's what Jesus is pointing us to. Now, you might be saying, sitting here this morning, I don't have everything I need. I'm struggling right now. We're having a hard time making ends meet. I don't have a job. My child is suffering from an illness. I, I watched someone I love just pass away recently. I'm wrestling with depression. You go, I don't have my needs met. But what I'd say to you is there's a difference between wants and needs. All of those things that you'd say are fair. Those are real things. But what God would want us to know is two things. One, there's a difference between wants and needs and that oftentimes I confuse the two and I will say I need this when really I just want it. I say I need it because I've tied my happiness to it or my well-being to it, but it's really just a want. But the second thing that I'd want you to know is that God absolutely will meet your needs. Who better to know what you need than the creator who made you? 
Who better to know what you need? And the promise that Jesus makes here is that God absolutely will meet our needs. He may in the short term and often does, but he absolutely will in the future. That we can look forward to the hope that he has secured through his son, the victory that's been won, and say, I can endure. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious because I know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. Are you a worrier? Do you wrestle with anxiety? I worry. Man, having kids made me more of a worrier. I love them and I want to protect them and and I can't always do that and that's hard. Worry and anxiety can feel like it builds on itself, like it's out of your control. It can be all-consuming. And so what I'd want you to do this week is think through, what's at the root of that? What's at the root of that? What's beneath the surface? Is it fear? Is it fear of what people will think? Is it fear of not being loved or not being good enough? Is it pride? Is it shame? What's at the root of that worry and that anxiety? Because I'd want, what I'd want you to hear me say this morning, if that's what you're going through, I want, I want you to look up and hear me say this to you. Jesus reminds us here of the great hope that we have in him and in his Father, that you are loved more than you can imagine, and that because God loves you, he also takes care of you. You have not been forgotten. The God of the universe knows you and loves you. He's telling us, He's telling you that you don't have to be anxious, that if that's how you're feeling, you are not stuck. Folks, we worry when we value, when we look at, and when we serve the wrong things. We worry when we focus on anything other than Jesus first. And if you struggle with this, if you're having a hard time with this, if you need help, please let us know. We would love to come alongside you and and support you. I think almost everyone has gone through a period of this in their life. So how do you do it? Right? It's, it's easy to just go, all right, don't worry. It's like, done, got it, thanks, that's all I needed. Don't worry. Wow, that was easy. Worry cured! I get it. It's not that simple. It starts with finding your hope in the future that Jesus has secured through through his father, that, that God has secured for us, that he will provide for, for your needs. It's believing in that, and then you can move on to three easy things. One, catch the unhealthy thoughts. Call it what it is. Identify it. Don't allow it to grow. Don't allow it to bloom. Catch the unhealthy thoughts. All of us believe nutso stuff at different points in our lives. Like all of us have that stuff. Call it what it is. Identify it. And the second thing is challenge it with truth. Sometimes that's all we need to do is say, this is how it feels, but what is true? Because you know what that's like. You, you, you feel this thought and it, you just allow it to grow and to bubble and it turns into this monster that, that's so much bigger than it started as. We, the way we prevent that is speak truth to it. And lastly, change the behavior. Catch the unhealthy thoughts, challenge them with truth, and change the behavior. What do I need to do differently? How do I have a different pattern? How do I not be stuck in this rut? Folks, are we pursuing what we want or are we pursuing the will of God the Father? Do we have a single-minded commitment to God? 
We cannot value two things as most important. Only one thing can occupy that spot. What occupies it for you? I hope that challenges the snot out of you and makes you uncomfortable because it has for me this week. It's sobering to think about that in my own life. It's sobering to think, am I living like this is true? And so what I want to challenge you to is this week, take a look at your life. Take inventory of your life. Sit down and look at how you spend your time. Make yourself a little pie chart and go, you know, what, what am I putting my time? How am I living? What do my days look like? And at the end of that, look at it and go, does that look like I make God the most important thing? That's a little scary, isn't it? I feel it too. So what would it look like if we did? What would it look like if we did? Be honest with yourself. What does your life show as important to you? Folks, there's no guilt or shame here with that, right? I struggle with that too. The point is not to make you feel bad about it, but to help you identify why things aren't totally working the way they should, why you're grinding your gears a little bit, why you feel like you're missing something. Because we work the way we were intended to work. We function, we exist the way we were intended to exist when we put God in that place and value him above all. We, we worry when we value, look at, and serve the wrong things. Jesus is telling us here, that's not how it has to be. 